The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery and fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in the time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. 
let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is Galatians, the fifth chapter, beginning in verse 16, reading from the New King James Version. And then in chapter 6 of Galatians, verse 6, let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. These passages of Scripture I've read even on the air many, many times to you. But there's something that I am seeing that is extremely upsetting to my heart. We are all products of of what we've been taught. And much of what we are taught does not align itself with Scripture. And so there's the constant necessity of going back and reading Scripture for ourselves. And when we find a divergence between what we've been taught and what the Scripture teaches, and we're given Holy Spirit insight and understanding, we have to change our position. Now, some of you are locked into concrete, and you don't want to change your position. You want to hold on to what you believe, whether it's right or wrong. I understand. It's not comfortable to be changing your position. What will people think? Changing your position can often be embarrassing. But I want to tell you, Galatians 4, verse 6 Because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Now I read these precious passages, and I love them. I have to tell you, I love them. They encourage my heart. They lift me up. But let me share with you something that's very disturbing to my soul. I have believed something that was wrong. In Ephesians, the first chapter, and by the way, Ephesians is the book of the church. It is the mystery of what God is doing in Jesus Christ for all of us. You know what, before I go any further, let's pray. Lord, I'm going to reveal something here that I have believed all of my life, and now I know I was wrong. And I suspect that many who listen 
have believed the same thing and now they're going to find that their belief doesn't match with the scripture. Lord, I have only one interest. No, I have two interests. One, I want to know you, Jesus. In all of your fullness, I want to know you and I want you to dwell in me. And number two, I want to bring along as many people as I can who will also want the fullness of you in them. Lord, you are everything to me. I love you with all of my heart. I am finished. I am done with all foolishness of this world. Lord, I want the fullness of your Holy Spirit Not only do I want him, but I need him because of what he'll do between you and me, Jesus. Lord, I love you. And I just come now and praise and worship and honor you. There is none like unto you, Jesus. You are the bright morning star. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are you are God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for coming in the flesh and dwelling among us and revealing to us the heart of the Father and for offering your body as a, a sacrifice of atonement for our sin, Lord Jesus. I owe you everything I could ever be or ever hope to be. Lord, come and move now in our hearts. Give us divine understanding of these things that I'll be speaking of today that may surprise and shock many who listen. Thank you, Lord, I pray in preparation for revival, for taking this city for the gospel of Jesus Christ, not by my strength or by my power, but by the Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you for my brothers and sisters who are listening. Lord, thank you for those who have so kindly opened their pocketbooks and sacrificially given, even this week, for this broadcast. Lord, I am very grateful for my brothers and sisters whom I've not met, who I, whom I've not even seen their faces, and yet they walk with you and they walk with me in this radio. Lord, I thank you for them. Thank you, Jesus. I pray in your mighty name. Amen. Oh, I'd like to keep praying for the whole hour. I've been in the prayer closet all morning, since early this morning. There's nothing that brings more joy to my heart than reading the scriptures and talking with Jesus, praying to my Father. But we need to talk about some issues that will make a big difference, I believe, in your life, even as they're making a big difference in my life. Again, the book of Ephesians is the book of the church. And as we come to the book of the church, 
the first chapter outlines for us all of the wonderful gifts being poured out from heaven. Nothing is withheld from us. Everything is being provided. And in that first chapter of the book of Ephesians, verse 13, in him, that is, in Jesus, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Let me read that passage for you again. And I want you to notice. Please pay note that believing on Jesus and being sealed by the Holy Spirit are not the same thing. Let me say that again, that believing on Jesus and being sealed with the Holy Spirit, those are not the same thing. They do not happen at the same time. They are two separate events in the life of a believer. Let me read it. This is Ephesians, the first chapter. I'll begin with verse 13. In him, that is, in Jesus, you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the, go the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Now, where I've taught is that this occurs at the point of baptism. But the scriptures don't say that. That was simply what I was taught. I was taught that when you're baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit comes and seals you. Seals you for redemption as a, as a purchased possession. And he seals you with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now the problem is, there's nowhere in Scripture that we're told that when a man is baptized, he is automatically sealed in the Holy Spirit. That's a false teaching that I have believed. I am humbled. I have to turn away from this. Now, I want to read you another passage, and then we're going to look at some other more in-depth passages that talk about this same thing. In Ephesians, the fourth chapter, let me read verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God is in Christ, forgave you. Someone desperately wronged me last night. And such wrath rose up in my heart. 
and such bitterness rose up in my spirit. I stayed up very late last night because I knew I could not go to bed with that anger and that bitterness in my heart because of the injustice, because of the wrong that was done to me. All I could do is sit before the Lord and say, Lord, these are the feelings I have. This is what's coming up out of me. And it's wrong. It's sin. And I'm asking Jesus, would you utterly remove these things from my heart? Would you wash me? Would you make me clean by your blood? For I cannot walk this way. It says, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you. All malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, Forgive one another. That is, even if someone treats you in a totally unjust way, injures you, does you harm, real harm, as happened to me, forgive. Be tender-hearted. Forgive them. But Lord, it's wrong. I shouldn't have been treated that way. I shouldn't be stolen from. No. Be tender-hearted. Be merciful. Be kind. Say nothing unkind. Forgive each other even as, as God in Christ forgave you. And finally, after a couple hours of quietness before the Lord, waiting on him to change my heart, it was suddenly like the breeze from heaven blew through my soul and just cleared everything away. I was washed and I was cleaned by the blood. And this morning I woke up joyful of heart early, came into the prayer closet and began to just praise and worship and honor Jesus. Has anything changed in the injustice? No. Will it? No. Will I demand my rights? No. Is it okay? Yes. It's in the hands of Jesus. But now, let me get right to the point. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed. That goes with the Ephesians 1.13 passage. Well, if I wasn't sealed when I was baptized, and they're two separate events in Scripture, when am I sealed? And have I been sealed yet? And the answer is no, I haven't been. My salvation, I've not been sealed yet. What do you mean, Pastor? Well, there's only one place where the Spirit of promise comes, and that is in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That happened at Pentecost. And according to Peter, and I shared 
I shared two days ago the Peter package. If you've not listened to that broadcast, go back and listen carefully to that broadcast. Let me turn to it quickly. I'm just sensing that I that I probably need to refresh your memory of what the Peter package is. It's found in the book of, of Acts. It's found in the book of Acts. Let me turn to it. And it's the sermon where Peter is speaking. They all heard Peter's sermon. They were pierced to the heart. And they said, what should we do? Brothers, what should we do? We're wrong. This is Acts 2. I'll begin with verse 38. Peter was saying to them, you must repent. You must repent. In other words, Jesus, the message was Jesus is Lord. And you have crucified the Lord of heaven. You must receive him as your Savior. You must turn to him. Well, what's the first step of turning to Jesus? It is to repent, to confess your sin openly and completely, and to repent. Number two in the Peter package you must be baptized. In the name of Jesus Christ for the removal of sins. In other words, you must be baptized in water according to Peter. Now, I know I said this two days ago. This goes against many of the teachings that are so common today in the church, saying, oh, you can just be sprinkled or the pastor can moisten your forehead. You don't need to be immersed in water. Yes, you do. Don't buy the modern, easy-believism, nonsense gospel that does not come from the scriptures. The word baptize comes from the Greek word baptizo. It's simply transliterated in English, but literally it means to plunge under. It is immersion. It is putting all the way under a solid object in a new medium. It is baptism and it's that baptism they wouldn't have called it a sacrament then but when you go into that water that dirty jordan river water muddy god did something in their hearts he washed them clean and peter is saying you must be baptized in the name of jesus christ for the removal of sins that is for you to be justified for you to have a clean history and a clean past and then it says as a as a next step you will receive the gift of the holy spirit because the promise is for you and for your children and for all the ones at a distance, as many as the Lord our God will call. That's you and me. We were at a distance. We were called. But I want you to notice the baptism for the removal of sins is not the same 
as being baptized in the Holy Spirit. They're not the same. They're two different events. So, believing on Jesus, repenting, these are all separate things. Being baptized in the water, then being baptized in the Holy Spirit, these Peter in the Peter package, are he's saying these are all the necessary elements to be sealed for your salvation. Now, am I saying that without being baptized in water or baptized in the Holy Spirit, you can't be saved? No, I'm not going to say that. I don't know. To be very frank with you, I don't know. I believe that a man who cries out to the Lord, who surrenders his life, who gives himself to Jesus Christ, I believe that man is saved. But there are pieces of that process that we need to not bypass. So I'm saying to you in Ephesians, in the first chapter, being sealed in the Holy Spirit is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, I always thought of being sealed. That happened at baptism, but obviously I was wrong. Just read the scripture. The Holy Spirit came one time. He came as a baptism of the Holy Spirit. He didn't walk in silently on cat's feet and surprise everybody. He came boldly, and you know when you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's like getting the flu. You know when you have the flu. You know when you were plunged under the water. I have a vivid memory of being plunged under the water in water baptism. Now, please, I'm not saying you have to do this. I'm saying this is, I'm reading you the scriptures that say this is the process. This is the road. It's not a vertical line where we pass that line. We, we say a sinner's prayer. We pass the line. Now we've got our ticket and we're good to go to heaven and we're not going to go to hell. That's foolishness. It's not in scripture. John Bunyan, and that's why I chose this, this name, Pilgrim's Progress, as he wrote that allegory back in the 16, early 1600s in his prison cell. He saw, even as I do, that it's a journey. It's a vertical line. It's a journey to the Jordan River where you die and you enter into the kingdom, into the glory of heaven with Jesus. So am I saved? Well, I'm in the process of being saved. I stand by faith. I'm saved in Jesus, but I'm not there yet. So, according to Ephesians, I need to be sealed in the Holy Spirit. And I'm warned not to grieve the Holy Spirit by bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking, malice. I'm told to be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving, even when I've been wronged, especially when I've been wronged. Forgive 
Be tender-hearted. Don't try to collect with anger and bitterness. Don't justify yourself. Don't blame them. Don't, don't curse them. Be kind. Now, I'd like to read some material to you today. It's from, it's just a short excerpt. It's from a book entitled, Jesus Baptizes in One Holy Spirit. Jesus Baptizes in One Holy Spirit. And it's by David Pawson. P-A-W-S-O-N. Pawson. David Pawson is a a graduate of Cambridge University. He's now in his late 80s, early 90s. He's basically retired. His health won't allow him to continue to travel. This man has been used mightily by God to teach the scriptures. He was a pastor for many years, and then he began to just teach in churches all over the world. Millions have listened to him. He is, as far as I can tell, the finest teacher I've ever listened to. You can find his books. Uh, in fact, many of his books are found at, um, let's see, pawsonbooks.com, pawsonbooks.com, or go on the internet and just Google David Pawson you'll find a number of different sites that carry countless numbers of his Bible teaching. You will profit by anything you listen to, but I'm going to share with you some of his writing on the Holy Spirit. I'm going to begin in chapter 1 and just read a few pages to you about John the Dipper, or John the Plunger, which is what the Bible calls him. Why was John baptizing? Well, a very simple reason. To get people cleaned up. Yet the Jordan, besides being the lowest river on earth, is also one of the muddiest especially in its lower reaches just before it enters the Dead Sea. Naaman the leper was not only the one to find the dirty little stream an objectionable ablution, but the object of the exercise was not physical cleanliness. John saw his baptism as a sacrament, though he would not have used the word, that is, a physical action with moral and spiritual results. In this case, past sins would be washed away, forgiven. The baptized would emerge from the river with a clean conscience. This would not happen because of any special quality in the water, but because the God who told John to baptize would work a miracle when he did it. Not that this would happen automatically. It would only work for those who recognized their sins, were willing to name them in public confession, and had acted in such a way as to prove they had truly repented of them 
renunciation to restitution. The miracle was not magical. It was thoroughly moral. The reason for John's activity was as simple as its object. The kingdom of God was at hand. The time was very near when God's rule would intervene in human affairs as the people of God had longed to see for very long time. But now it was it was coming, and they were far from ready. A holy God would not overlook sin, particularly in his own nation. He would come with fire, burning up all that was ungodly. Well, John also knew that God would reestablish his kingdom on earth through a king like David, indeed, a son of David. John knew he himself was not the Messiah, nor did he discover that it was his own cousin until quite a late stage. But he saw himself as one to prepare the way for him, the forerunner, the Elijah before the Elisha. So John was calling the children of Israel back to the very place where they had crossed into the promised land of Canaan to begin all over again, to make a clean start. He was content with his ministry, happy to be a voice in the very wilderness where he had spent many solitary years in preparation. He had no ambition for himself ready as the best man to hand over the bride to the bridegroom, to become less as he would become greater. He was, however, only too aware of the limitations of his ministry. For one thing, he performed no miracles of healing or exorcisms. Even his mediating forgiveness of sins through baptism was not enough to meet the real need of sinning people. He could free them from sins in their past, but not protect them from sins in their future. He could get them clean, but he could not keep them clean. He could minister remission of sins, but not the removal of sin. In other words, the relief from guilt could only be temporary. They needed much more help than he could possibly give them if there was to be a permanent cure for their stubborn self-centeredness. John simply didn't have the power to effect such a transformation in the lives of his hearers but he knew someone who did. The very person for whom he was a forerunner was, quote, more powerful, end quote, and therefore worthy of greater honor. John did not feel qualified to untie his sandals. The job of second lowest slave and the very lowest of them to wash the feet. There were two things this Quote, coming one, unquote, would do for sinners, which no one else could do. After John realized that his cousin Jesus the, was the one expected, he pointed him out with memorable words. Look, 
the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John one twenty nine. This is an amazing claim. John's followers were Jews. We may ask what association this might arouse in their minds. They were familiar with the sacrifice of the rams. Others might think of the scapegoat carrying the sins of the people away into the wilderness, but both rams and goats had to be offered repeatedly, whereas John's statement has a finality about it, taken away for good. The surprising note is in its universal application. John's ministry was to his own people, and their hopes for the future were often nationalistic. But here is an announcement without ethnic limitations. The whole human race could be the beneficiaries. The Gentiles are all included. Christians reading the claim tend to refer its fulfillment to Jesus once and for all sacrifice on the cross, but that application could be too limited. The verb takes away is in the present continuous tense, literally who goes on taking away, which seems to point to an ongoing task that would extend through time and space as indeed it has done and is now doing. It will will not stop until it has reached the ends of the earth and the end of the age. Wonderful though this is, the thrust is essentially negative. What will be put in its place? What will the empty space in the human heart, what will fill it? What will prevent seven unclean spirits from inhabiting the clean but vacant property? What will prevent them from coming in? John had a clear and compelling answer to such a question. His negative prediction was matched by a very positive promise. The words for which John would best be remembered are very straightforward. Mark one eight, I baptize you in water, but he will baptize you in Holy Spirit. Spirit was not a new concept to the Jewish leaders or the Jewish people. Their history contained many examples of the Spirit of God, His invisible power coming on ordinary men and women, enabling them to do extraordinary things. To be baptized in Spirit would be a new idea. But the concept of being plunged was now familiar through John's actions in the River Jordan. In some way, the two baptisms would be analogous. Analogous. An overwhelming experience of being completely submerged in a fresh medium. But the main emphasis in John's statement is on the adjective holy. English translations mistakenly insert the definite article the, turning a description 
into a name. John was promising they would be plunged in Holy Spirit. The real antidote to their sinful condition, the same person who took their sin away would soak them in holiness. Holy was perfectly familiar to the Jews. Their God was the Holy One of Israel, and their calling was to be holy as he was holy. To be a holy people meant to be a separated people, separated from sin, but positively separated for God. Not just clean, but clean enough for God's exclusive use. The plunging in small h, Holy Spirit, was by far the most prominent feature in John's preaching. Surprisingly, he only talked about the Lamb of God taking away the sin of the world on occasion to a very limited audience. But of baptism in the Spirit, it is recorded, this was his message. In Mark 1, 7, literally it means he kept on preaching. Regularly, repeatedly, he warned his disciples that a baptism in water for forgiveness of sins was not enough but was all he could do for them. They must move on to another baptizer and another baptism, or they would regress in their, to their former condition. The clean beginning he had helped them to make would be wasted. Now, this brief summary of the ministry of the forerunner who prepared the way for Jesus I want to turn to the following centuries, to Jesus' followers. The reason for entitling this first chapter is now clear. He named it the surprising silence. John's repeated emphasis on Jesus as baptizer in the Holy Spirit has been largely ignored during most periods of church history. And to stop a moment, I have to tell you, I saw it as an add-on, not as the essential to be sealed in the Holy Spirit. Looking back through the centuries, it's clear that the rest of John's ministry has been faithfully continued by the Christian church. His practice of water baptism has been almost universal. The Quakers and the Salvation Army among the few exceptions. It has been added, now that there are many changes people have made to baptism, and it's not done by immersion usually, but his call for repentance, reformation, restitution is still proclaimed. His offer of forgiveness for sins committed is still being made, even considered the heart of the good news, the gospel. His warning about judgment to come for those who continue in their sins has echoed more or less down through the years. 
his identification of Jesus as the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world has been widely incorporated into the liturgy of the church, especially in the Eucharist and the communion. It is repeated around the world every Sunday, but where is the ringing affirmation that Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit? It has been largely forgotten, overshadowed by his other titles and functions. He's been preached by most as Savior and Lord, by many as Master and Friend, but almost no one preaches Jesus the baptizer. The preaching has focused on the offer of forgiveness rather than on the offer of holiness. In practice, ministry has gone little beyond John the Baptist's ministry. He was able to get sinners baptized and forgiven. Is that all the church today can and should be doing? Of course, Christian pastors can point to the atonement of the cross as the ground of forgiveness and baptize in the name of Jesus or the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But in practice, are the recipients of this any better off than John's disciples unless Jesus baptizes them, seals them in the Holy Spirit? To put it another way, is holiness as necessary as forgiveness? if we are one day to see the Lord. And look at Hebrews twelve fourteen. Without holiness, no man will see the Lord. Is forgiveness alone an adequate qualification for admission to heaven? So preaching is focused on the past rather than the present work of Jesus what he did for us at the cross rather than what he does for us now from the throne room of God. It is a pity that his ascension is remembered on a Thursday, not a Sunday, and is so often overlooked. That event, that event is as important to Christian faith as his death, burial, and resurrection It was the inauguration of his present ministry as our high priest at the right hand of God the Father, as well as interceding for us, preparing a place for us, and exercising all authority in heaven and earth, perhaps the most important role he now plays is that we would receive the promised spirit from his Father that he pours out that same Spirit on his disciples, not once, but time after time after time. Only he can baptize in the Holy Spirit. And he will do so as long as it's needed and cried out for. It's a tragedy that this has not found a place in the creeds of the church as compared with the forgiveness of sins. What Christ takes away has been proclaimed and accepted. What he gives in its place has been very muted and misunderstood. That could be one reason why liturgies concentrate on miserable sinners rather than joyful saints filled with the Spirit. Of course, 
David Pawson says, I don't mean to imply that the church has been without the Holy Spirit altogether. He's been active even when he has not been acknowledged. Those who have sought more than they were offered have received more. Many have been baptized in the Holy Spirit without fully understanding the connection between their experience and the biblical promise it was fulfilling. They have been spirit-filled there have been spirit-filled saints in all ages, some recognized as such by the whole church, but most only to the intimates, the friendship, family, and God. Yet God alone knows how much power, purity, and unity would have characterized his people on earth had John, John's clear and confident message been faithfully proclaimed with his emphasis on the positive as well as the negative. And I come sharing with you the book by David Pawson entitled Jesus Baptizes in One Holy Spirit. You can find this book at pawsonbooks.com. You can find it on Amazon. You can find many of his teaching uh, CDs, YouTube videos, just Google David Pawson, Pastor David Pawson. Now, we have only a few minutes left in this broadcast. I hope you've heard what I've said today. It's startling. If you have not been baptized in the Holy Spirit, you have not been sealed, as spoken of in Ephesians, the first chapter, by the Holy Spirit for your salvation. Am I saying you're lost if you're not baptized in the Spirit? No, I can't say that because the Scripture doesn't say that. But it seems to indicate that the holiness that is necessary for salvation can only come by way of the Holy Spirit. That Jesus came forgiving us for our sins, and then he promised he would send us a counselor, he would send us a helper, he would send us the Holy Spirit who would take his place and teach us all things. And this was so vital that Jesus in chapter 11 of the book of Luke said to them, who from among you, this was his disciples, will have a friend and will go to him at midnight and may say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, since a friend came to me from a journey, and I have nothing that I will set before him. And he, having answered from inside, may say, You must you must stop causing me trouble. The door has already been locked, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up to give to you. I say to you, even if he will not get up and give to him, because being his friend at least because of his shameless persistence after having been awakened, he will give him as much as he needs. And so I say to you, you must keep on asking and it will be given to you. You must keep on seeking and you will find. You must keep on knocking and it will be opened to you. For everyone asking receives and the one seeking will find and to the one knocking it will be opened. Now, which father of you, if the son will ask for bread, he will not give him a stone, will he? Or even a fish, he will not instead of a fish give him a snake, will he? 
or even if he might ask for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father from heaven give the Holy Spirit to the one asking him? Luke, the 11th chapter. You see where we're at. We need to be sealed by the Holy Spirit. And it's something that should have happened soon after you were water baptized. But for many of us, it did not. And now, many years later, it's a struggle. And I am with the National Prayer Chapel waiting before God for the fullness of the Holy Spirit, for the baptism, for the baptism in purity and power. Pray. Ask Jesus. Read the scriptures for yourself. Now we're out of time. I I need to hear from you. This broadcast is soon going to have to be paid for and the money is not in place. If the Holy Spirit is moving in your heart, would you give? Would you write to me at the National Prayer Chapel Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Give the 5, the 10, the 20, $100. It all adds up. But I'm also praying for some large offerings, five, ten, fifteen thousand $15,000 offerings. We need to get this covered and the crisis over. God bless you, my brothers, my sisters. I love you. You've been listening to Pastor Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. I love you. I'll talk to you soon.